we turn to the book of Jonah, to chapter 2. We read in chapter 1, verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And now chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods come past me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters come past me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take verse 9 as our text for this evening's sermon. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, are you thankful? How thankful are you? Are you and am I able to be thankful in all things? As we come away from the table of the Lord and from witnessing the sacrament of baptism, we do so as a thankful people. We look this evening at an outstanding incident of that thankfulness and that gratitude. Jonah here expresses thanksgiving to God out of the belly of a fish. And what is it that Jonah is thankful for? Jonah is thankful for salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. And he thanks God for the wonder of his salvation. From the belly of a fish, Jonah prays this prayer. And God teaches us that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter the circumstances in which we are, we cry out to Him and we turn to Him in prayer. Here Jonah is in the prison, so to speak, of the belly of a fish. A close, dark, smelly dungeon. And yet what is Jonah doing? He has access to God. And he's looking to God and he's walking in communion with his God. Jonah displays his faith by turning to God in prayer and by making this powerful confession that we pray for the grace to make as our own. We look at thanksgiving in the fish's belly. 
Noting, first of all, an unexpected wonder. Secondly, a humble prayer. And finally, the sacrificial thanksgiving. We read, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. We're familiar with the story of the prophet Jonah. Remember that Jonah was running away from God. Jonah, as your children remember, did not want to go to Nineveh. God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go preach against Nineveh. And remember, Jonah's concern, very sinfully and selfishly, was that just possibly God would have mercy on Nineveh. And Jonah did not want that. Nineveh was a tremendous threat to Israel and one of their greatest enemies. And Jonah desired to see them destroyed. He did not want to leave Israel to go to Nineveh. He was afraid God just might save them as the enemies of Israel. And so instead of traveling toward Nineveh, he turns around. He goes the opposite direction. He heads toward Joppa. Now there are times in our lives when we stand also over against God's providence and God's will of his command. And that's what Jonah here was doing. God had given him clear instruction. This is what you must do, Jonah. But Jonah imagined, my life is going to be better if I go this way. And how often do we not find ourselves in a similar situation? We know what God requires of us. We know God's clear command. But we imagine life's going to be better if we just do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. We're going to pursue our own will. And that's what we find Jonah here doing. Rather than submitting to God's will, rather than praying for the grace to submit, he does his own thing. He pursues his own way. And you remember then, God, out of love, tracks him down. And God follows him. And God sends a powerful storm to come upon Jonah as Jonah is in that boat. After trying to escape the storm, the sailors finally don't know what to do any longer. They've thrown as much overboard as they can. And so finally they cast lots to find out who is guilty for this tremendous storm. And the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah then explains to them what he's been doing. He explains that he's been running away from his God. And Jonah is clear to them. You need to throw me overboard. The only way that this is going to end is with me being cast into the sea. The sailors didn't want to do that. You remember they feverishly tried to avoid that. But finally, their lives were all in jeopardy. And so they threw Jonah overboard and immediately... God brought calm to the sea. And the sailors were shocked. We read even that they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. But what did God do for Jonah? God was watching over Jonah. And God sent then a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now prior to the time of Jonah 2, Jonah didn't have much problem running away from God, avoiding God, trying not to interact with God. But now Jonah in the belly of the fish turns to God. And now he acknowledges God. And he acknowledges God in a fervent prayer. He prays unto the Lord, we read in verse 1. And whenever Lord is in all capitals in the King James, we know that means Jehovah. He prays to Jehovah, his covenant keeping God. It's when we're in the midst of troubles, when we're in the midst of trials, that we're brought into communion 
and to fellowship with God. And that's what Jonah here experiences. He now is taken by God and brought back into communion with the living God. He had been trying to run away from God. He didn't want fellowship with God. And now God marvelously and lovingly takes his child back. This is the wonderful love of God for us. We try to run. We try to flee at times. God draws to himself his erring saints. And he gives them to know his love, his friendship, and his fellowship. While people can try to keep us from communion with them, and some try to hold us at arm's length, perhaps they cut us off from them, no one can keep us from communicating with the living God. Jonah is in the depths of the sea, and he cries out to God. He's in the belly, we read, of a great fish. God, in his wonderful and gracious providence, miraculously prepared this great fish to swallow up Jonah. So that here in the midst of judgment, God chose mercy. God chose compassion. Did Jonah deserve to have his life spared? Not at all. But God prepared this great fish to swallow up Jonah. The creator of heaven and earth commanded this creature. And this creature, unlike Jonah, obeyed its creator. It performed its duty. God sparing his life through this animal. Now we believe this was a miracle. It was a wonder. And Jesus confirms it as such in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There are many who try to deny the miracle and the wonder here. They try to dismiss this as some kind of fable. But faith is necessary. And by faith we believe that a miracle took place. Faith works in us. The assurance, this was a wonder of God. God had prepared, we read in verse 17, a great fish. God in his providence. And God now causes that fish to now swallow Jonah. And not only that, God then preserves Jonah in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights in a marvelous wonder. Beyond any dispute, this was a miracle and a wonder from God. And God gives us the faith by which we believe this testimony, not only of the author of this book, but the testimony of Jesus himself, who confirmed this wonder by his words in Matthew 12. Now the fact that Jesus confirms this wonder is significant. To be critical of this wonder then is to contradict none other than the Son of God. Jonah, thrown overboard then, must have experienced the horror of drowning. And that comes out in verses 5 and 6. The waters come past me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. He talks about sinking to the bottom of the sea. And then God sent this fish that swallowed him up. 
Now, in the belly of that fish, Jonah must somehow have been a bit revived as God didn't allow him to lose his life. And while Jonah now is in the belly of that fish, God is working even a greater wonder, a wonder in the heart of Jonah. And that's the wonder that is on the foreground here in this passage. The God who was preserving Jonah physically was performing even a greater wonder spiritually. And we note that through the prayer that Jonah here makes. God brings Jonah into the presence of the Almighty God. Jonah has an eye not merely on Almighty God and all of his power and might, as we noted. He addresses God in the midst of his troubles as Jehovah. That's significant. We acknowledge that God is the creator. He's the almighty one. He's the one that directs all things. But much more comforting is the fact that he's doing so for me. He's doing so as my covenant-keeping God who will never leave me or forsake me. And therefore, he's directing all things in love. And that's what Jehovah and the significance of that name gets at. Jehovah is the covenant-keeping God. He's the God who's faithful to His Word. He's the God who will never lose sight of His promises. He spoke, and He will bring it to pass. And that's the one now to whom Jonah turns in prayer. Jehovah was keeping covenant with Jonah even though Jonah was forsaking Jehovah. As we noted this morning, what a marvelous wonder of God's love and God's care. Jonah's running away. He's trying to forsake God. But the covenant-keeping God does not throw us out of communion. He does not cast off His own. He does not allow our sins to permanently separate us from fellowship and communion with Himself. The backsliding child of God is brought to repentance. He's restored by a wonder of God's grace. And that's the wonder that God here performs in the heart and life of Jonah. The truth of God's covenant faithfulness is incentive to us as sinful children to always turn back to Him and to always look to Him in prayer, knowing that He is Jehovah, the one who has made an oath by Himself and who will preserve and keep that oath on the basis of His own shed blood. We know that he will not cast us off. He's not going to turn us away. He will receive us as a loving father receives his wayward child with tender mercies and with compassions. What astounding love our father has for us, his erring sons and daughters. We flee his presence. We enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. We rebel against His will for us. And rather than casting us off in His mercy and in His grace, He softens us. He turns us back to Himself in true repentance. And He works a wonder by restoring us in the joy of His covenant fellowship. But God even does more, as we see here in this history. God works thankfulness in the heart of Jonah a thankfulness for salvation. And that's what God does to you and to me. God causes us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sin, to see 
that there's really only one thing that matters, and that is the wonder of wonders by which he has saved me and delivered me from all my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. My salvation is that which above all gives occasion for thankfulness. Jonah's prayer reveals that. Jonah's prayer here reveals humility. It reveals a confession of sin. Jonah doesn't just see himself in affliction. Verse 6 expresses, Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption. Jonah saw himself to be a sinner. And he knows the seriousness of his sin. And he knows the need to confess. And he makes that confession here in Jonah 2. He had been struck by the reality of his sin. The storm had wakened his senses. And God now works this wonder of repentance. But secondly, Jonah acknowledges thanksgiving to God. Literally, verse 9 reads, With the voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice unto thee. Now the fact that Jonah's prayer includes thanksgiving is extremely significant. If we just think about that, what would Jonah be thankful for? Jonah can't be thankful for the fact that God saved his life. God didn't save his life yet. Jonah has no assurance that he's ever going to get out of the belly of that whale. Jonah can't be thankful for the fact that somehow God is yet giving him the strength to carry out the work that God had called him to do. Jonah remains in the belly of this whale. Jonah has no assurance of escape. And yet Jonah is thankful. He can't be thankful because the fish spit him out because this fish didn't do that yet. That's only going to come afterward. And Jonah didn't even know yet that that was going to take place. And so we ask ourselves the question, what is Jonah thankful for here? He's thankful for one thing, the salvation of the Lord. And beloved, having experienced the Lord's Supper this morning, having witnessed the sacrament of baptism, we stand before the wonder of the cross. And we stand before the wonder of what God has done for us. And this is our response. Thankful for the salvation that God has given. What a glorious salvation God has worked. A salvation by which God has taken me a sinner. One who's rebellious. One who knows the horror and the tragedy of my sin. One who's brought to my knees to confess that I am chief sinner. I can't look down on anyone else. I know the depths of my own woe and my own unworthiness. And that Jehovah God now will not deal with me as I deserve. He will not punish me as I deserve to be punished. But in His mercy, He delivers and He gives me to know grace and mercy. He forgives me as a God of pardons. And He gives me to know the wonder of His love and His faithfulness and His covenant faithfulness. He's sworn a covenant. And that covenant is an everlasting covenant. He will keep that covenant and he will preserve his saints in it. And so we stand in awe. This God who has joined me to Jesus Christ by a true and living faith, who brings me into fellowship and communion with himself, a fellowship and communion that cannot be broken because it's on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he works in me the awareness and the knowledge of that salvation. 
And as covenant parents, presenting our children for baptism and raising our children in the fear of the Lord, we stand in awe of that covenant promise. I will be a God to you and to your children. What a glorious salvation. For that, Jonah expresses his gratitude. And beloved, that's the work of God's grace in our hearts as well. We stand before God with thankfulness for the glorious salvation that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the struggles, all the difficulties in our lives, in the life that we experience in this world around us, in the churches of which we're a part, this wonder rises up. Salvation is of the Lord. God is a God who works salvation, and He does so despite the danger, the distress, despite the weakness, the sinfulness of His children. And He's able to work that salvation for every last one of His children. Not one will perish. Every last one will be brought into the fullness of His kingdom. And He will see to it that His children trust in Him. He brings us to the confession that Jehovah, He is God. And He works the confession, that God is my God. And that God is faithful. And that God will preserve and keep me. And He works then, in our consciousness, the awareness that we have a salvation that is so marvelous, that is so glorious, that there's nothing that compare to it. And that it's salvation so great that nothing can take it away from us. It's sure. It's secure. God is sovereign with regard to that salvation. And we could develop that phrase in abundance. Salvation is of the Lord. God is the God who saves God is the God who's sovereign with regard to salvation. Salvation is not that which man works. It's not that which man accomplishes. Again and again, through the history of the church, God demonstrates man's failure, man's sinfulness, and God's wonder. And so also in this history, Jonah did nothing to make himself worthy. Jonah now finds himself in the belly of a whale, deserving absolute destruction. And yet... Salvation is of God. And note, not physical. Jonah doesn't know anything yet about any kind of physical deliverance. Jonah is making this confession with regard to communion and fellowship with the living God. God has chosen me by His eternal election. God has drawn me to Himself by a wonder of His grace. And He's performed everything that's necessary for me to know my salvation. What had Jonah done to save himself? Nothing. He'd only contributed unbelief, rebellion, and folly. There was nothing Jonah could do to save himself physically or spiritually when he was thrown overboard. But God willed Jonah's salvation. Notice another striking thing about this prayer. Jonah never asks for physical deliverance. He knows the wonder of his salvation And that gives him peace. That gives him what he needs. He's thankful for God's deliverance spiritually. Again, astounding. Are you satisfied with the fact that Jehovah God has saved you? 
That's the work of God's grace in the hearts of his children. Though everything is against me, though my death is imminent, I am thankful and I will sacrifice to God with that voice of thankfulness because salvation is of the Lord. Now God does deliver him and often God does physically grant his saints deliverance from their ailments and from their afflictions for a time. But God works in the hearts of his saints this blessed confession. Now, beloved, we're thankful for many things as we go through life. God gives us jobs that provide for our physical needs. God gives us homes. He gives us possessions. God gives us family. He gives us spouses, children. He gives us parents. God gives us so many things for which we're thankful. And God works in our hearts gratitude for the good gifts that he showers upon us. We wake up every morning and we're astounded with the wealth with which he gives and the care that he exercises for us. We're thankful for God's word. We're thankful for the Psalms of Zion that we can sing. We're thankful for so many things. But the deepest reason for thanksgiving is exactly that which Jonah here expresses. We're thankful for the gift of salvation. We're thankful for the forgiveness that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that Jehovah God has taken us and brought us into covenant communion and friendship with himself. And as we've witnessed the sacrament of baptism as a picture of the shedding of our blood by which we've been taken into communion with Christ, as we've experienced the Lord's Supper as that picture by which God preserves and keeps us in the enjoyment of that communion and that fellowship, we are thankful. Thankful for the wonder of the life that we have in Him. Even when our earthly life is threatened, even when it seems as though there's no way of escape from a physical perspective from death, we're thankful. And we're thankful to God for the wonder of salvation. Now maybe that this evening, maybe tomorrow, God comes to take us to be with Him. We won't experience loss. We experience the benefit, the unspeakable gain of Jehovah God taking us into the fullness of the joy of that salvation. And we confess then to die is gain. Ultimately, that's the confession that Jonah is making here. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. Jonah finds himself about to die, wrapped in weeds in the belly of a fish, and he's thankful. Thankful for the wonder by which God has saved him and God has delivered him and given him to know fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. It's easy, beloved, to get caught up in the things of this life. To get caught up on things. And when we're thankful just for things, then we can get too caught up with those things and then we're not thankful when we don't have those things. Or those things are taking away from us and now we don't have joy. When we're thankful for God and thankful for His covenant faithfulness and thankful for the salvation that He has worked on our behalf, then we can be thankful for everything in our lives. We can be thankful no matter what God sends our way. When we're thankful for God and for the wonder of salvation, we're able to be thankful in the belly of a fish expecting imminent death. 
That's the wonder of God's work of grace in the heart of Jonah. God works that thankfulness and God works that joy, even in affliction, because we know these trials, these afflictions are drawing me closer to Him. We confess the wonder of His grace when on our deathbed we can be thankful and we can be joyful because of that salvation that God has given. That salvation which is the anchor of my soul and which preserves and keeps me. What a powerful grace God works in the hearts and lives of His children so that not only on the Lord's Day, not only on Thanksgiving Day, but every day of our lives, we live in the thankfulness that we owe unto God for that salvation that He has accomplished. Beloved, this book of Jonah is a book about you and me. It's a book about our failures. It's a book of our sinfulness. Every day we turn our back to God. We turn our back to His will. We head away from God to our Tarshish or to our Joppa. We think God's not watching us. We think we can get by with trying to run away, trying to flee His presence. We deserve hell. We deserve to be cast off forever. But what does God do? God follows us. God comes after us. God causes affliction, trouble, trials. He causes the storms in our lives. God does all of this in order, by His mercy and by His grace, to draw us to Himself, to work repentance, and to give us to know the marvelous grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. He says, I have established my covenant with you. And I am a covenant-keeping God. And I'm faithful to that vow that I've made. And I will preserve you. And I will keep you and your children. In my faithfulness, I will preserve you in communion and fellowship with me. I gave my own son as a sacrifice for your sin and for your rebellion. And I keep on giving and giving and giving for the sake of your salvation. That's the wonder of God's word to us. God comes to us and says, you're not alone. Don't live as though you're separate from me. Joy and happiness comes in fellowship and communion with me. It comes in the acknowledgement of that salvation. And we taste, beloved, His goodness and His mercy. We know the wonder of the love with which He loved us. We hear Him call to us and we respond. He commands repent and we turn. And by His grace, we're given to know the wonder of that salvation. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve these blessings, but God's goodness and God's mercy is upon us. It's not due to anything of us. Our thanksgiving, our joy isn't due to our condition. And again, note that about Jonah. Jonah is doomed, and yet he's thankful. We by nature are doomed, and yet we're thankful. We don't try to run away. We don't try to escape the justice of God. We flee to the cross. And we do so in the confidence that Jesus Christ took on himself everything that I deserved. God's justice was satisfied when he poured his wrath out upon the one who stood in my place out of love for me, my Savior, who took upon himself my punishment. 
And there is therefore now no condemnation. I am washed by his blood. And I am brought into fellowship and communion with him through his broken body and his shed blood. The voice of thanksgiving is that which rises from our hearts. And it works a resolve. I will pay that I have vowed. Jonah didn't know how long he would yet live. But Jonah knew how thanksgiving was to be shown. If I'm thankful, that thankfulness must be evident in my life and in my walk. And it's going to show itself. I will vow that which I have vowed. How do we do that? The point here is thankful children are obedient children. As those who know the wonder of God's salvation, out of thankfulness, we show obedience. We vow that which we vowed. We walk in that manner that we know we ought. We turn away from that sin. We pray for the grace to overcome temptation. We want to do what's right. As children, how is it that you're going to show thankfulness to your parents? You can get them all kinds of presents. You can make them all kinds of fancy things. But what ultimately do your parents want from you? They want you to obey. When they tell you to do something, they want you to listen. And that's how they see you love them. Your love for them and your thankfulness for them is seen in your obeying them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. Our love for our Heavenly Father is seen by our love for Him and our obeying Him. The test of thankfulness every day is, am I obeying? Am I seeking His will? Jonah says, I will walk in obedience to my God and I will make the sacrifices that are necessary. Now what's the sacrifice for Jonah? Jonah himself doesn't know. At this point, it would be his own life. He sinned and his sin now cost him his life. So as Jonah makes this statement, I will pay that I have vowed, likely going through the mind of Jonah is my life. I owe God my life. I will die and I will seek to praise God now through my death. But God doesn't want from Jonah his life. Jonah did not have to die for his sin. Another would do that. Jesus Christ would make that sacrifice. God does not want the blood of Jonah. God received the sacrifice of his own son in Jonah's place. And the blood of Jesus alone is able to make atonement. Alone is able to satisfy God's justice. God wants Jonah's heart. And God wants Jonah's life of thankful obedience. And as soon as Jonah is spit out of the fish, verse 10, the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. We have in chapter 3, 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And we read in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. As soon as Jonah is spit out of the mouth of the fish, Jonah maintains that vow that he has vowed. He will obey. And immediately now, according to the word of God, he pursues that path that leads to Nineveh. God has restored him, and God has worked a wonder within his heart. And Jonah now will not run, 
but he will do what the Lord is pleased to require of him. Why? Jonah now is humbled. He's brought to see that he's no better than the Ninevites. Jonah is brought to see that he is rotten. He's as unworthy as they are. Previous, it seemed as though Jonah in pride felt himself more worthy of salvation than the Ninevites. Now Jonah knows better. He's no no more worthy. And beloved, so it is with us. God teaches us in pride that we may not esteem ourselves above anyone else. We are worthy of God's wrath. He will go now and preach. But also, Jonah is struck with this. He confesses himself to be a servant of Jehovah. He knows himself to be that servant of Jehovah, that one who is called to serve his Lord. And seeing himself as such, he now will do as his Lord requires of him. Beloved, this is the wonder of God's grace in the hearts again of his children. God works in us a thankfulness for the glorious salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And in response to that glorious salvation, we say, I will vow that I have vowed. God works in us that desire to do his will and to pursue his way in thankfulness. God works in us the desire to put off the old man, to put on the new. He works in us the resolve more and more to live unto him. And we go away then with thankful praise for the wonder of our salvation. As we go away from the Lord's Supper, we do so with that thankfulness concretely evident in our walk and in our conduct. As thankful children of God for the glorious salvation that God has given, we now pursue his will. We desire to do that which is right and pleasing in his eyes. He places Nineveh on our pathway. And in response, rather than turning and fleeing to Tarshish, we pray for grace and we pursue those Ninevehs. At times, we backslide. He calls us back. He uses the preaching, the sacraments, Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, family, hardships, trials. He pulls us back and he teaches us, be thankful. Be thankful for one thing, your salvation. And that thankfulness again for our salvation wells up within us that desire to do all to the glory and honor of his holy name. And with regard to baptism, as parents, we pray for God's gracious work in the hearts of our children. May Jade and Jessica teach little Jonah the lessons of the prophet, that he might grow up in thankful praise for his salvation. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the glorious wonder of thy grace and mercy toward us. We thank thee that thou hast not dealt with us as we deserve, but thou hast given us to know salvation in Jesus Christ, a salvation that is all of thee. And may we ever live in thankful praise and adoration to thee, the God of our salvation, and work in our hearts and the hearts of our children that we might be thankful, thankful in all things as we acknowledge that which is our highest joy and that which is our greatest desire, the wonder of that communion and fellowship that is ours 
in Jesus Christ, which will be kept and preserved by thee to all eternity. Amen.